up first, we have Johan Fritz and Joey Reynosa. If you guys don't know who they are, they've been on our show a few times, but they are both whistleblowers of the Secret Space program, and they can do a lot better job at introducing themselves than I can, but they have an incredible testimony. It's unique because um, they have found each other as divine counterparts, and they remember each other from the programs, and it's a really beautiful story, and they both have an amazing individual testimony, so uh, we hope you guys enjoy. Thank you. Good evening, everyone. <laughs> or good morning, good afternoon, good evening, I guess, if you're on the internet. Okay, Dave, if you want to get over there. Uh, as some of you may know, my name is William Nutter. I came out, uh, I guess, what, a year ago, two years ago with my full name because of some things that were going on. And uh, the name that I was going by before that was Johann Fritz. Uh, some of you guys may see the videos I've done in the past. Tonight, I get the pleasure and honor of uh, actually helping my wife, who's never publicly testified about her testimony. <laughs> we both have a shared testimony, actually, which is unique. Uh, we are finding people who are having this happen as they work through their stuff, which is what we do in our business. They end up finding each other and, and, and reconnecting, that idea of reconnecting. You talked about love earlier, that feeling of, of heart space, right? We're helping people refine that. So. Uh, I get the pleasure and the honor of helping my wife do that tonight. So, uh, thank you yeah, hello. so much. <laughs> uh, secondly, secondly, can I want. Tell we're getting emotional up here because we can feel the love so much. Yeah. I, I just have to say that when we had that meditation, I could see the centering rose. It was this beautiful gold rose, and it was yeah. anchored to the center of the earth. And this beautiful golden light just encapsulated everybody. Yeah. And it was just, it was absolutely gorgeous. And there was so much love radiating from you and from your heart space. So thank you so, so much. And before we get beautiful. started really quickly as well, I want to say something to the people in this room who have, uh, you guys may know some of Jody and I's struggles over the last couple of months. To those of you that have helped us, that have given us donations, that have uh, tried to help us in different ways, there is no amount of thanks I can give you to thank you for what you've done. So I'm telling you verbally thank you. Jody is saying thank you. Um, it, we, we appreciate your support, we do, because without you guys, we could not be doing this. It's, it's tough doing what we do. Thank you so much, I absolutely echo that. So I have to say, though, one of the things that I've also observed, Tyler and his dad, Jim, beautiful, beautiful connection. And yep. it's such amazing, an amazing um, just honor to be here, but also to see that there's this connection that you support your son in this. Sadly, sadly. Please. Yes. Sadly, our families have absolutely pushed us away um, further than arm's distance because of the, the things that we believe in and the things that we are coming out and saying about the things like the SSP. And so they've seen some of our videos and they've seen, you know, Will's, before we were married, they saw Will's video and they were like, uh, no, we disapprove, absolutely. So my dad recently said, you are not um, allowed in any capacity to come to my house. And I was, I was heartbroken. And then, he's, and then he's, he made the comment, he said, because we don't want this drama in his house. 
So, so it, do that math for a minute. That's yeah. not love, is it? No. So it's been heartbreaking. But yeah. um, thank you all for your support. Thank you. And we are so honored to be here. So um, as Will was saying, um, this is my first time actually coming out and sharing my testimony. And so um, as Will was saying, we have this services with Jody and Will, this business together, and it's been such an amazing time to be able to do this with my husband now. And um, these are some of the really sweet things that some of our clients have said about me, and that is just really, really sweet. Um, and this is what I love about Maya Angelou. She says, you know, people may forget what you say, but they, they don't forget the way you make them feel. And I hope that you feel our love tonight and the, the fact that we so appreciate your support. So my story is not a straight line. It is messy, and as Kelly Clarkson would say, it's a beautiful disaster. <laughs> it's gonna like <laughs> zigzag everywhere, and you know, put your seatbelts on because you're probably gonna go on a roller coaster ride. I, I talked to Will like before this, and there was probably a dozen times where I'm like, I don't wanna do this. I don't wanna do this, I, I'm not gonna do this. <laughs> And I just toiled over this, and especially where to start, because there's so many, I mean, I could start from, you know, my, my younger years and everything that happened there, or I could start from, you know, when the movies start and it's really dramatic and you're at this one part and you're like, okay, well, I can start in my adult life. And, well, there was this time when, you know, I was at the Senate steps with Senator Ted Cruz and he just, like, yelled at those, you know, scientists about uh, global warming, and that literally happened in D.C., and I was on the Senate steps and I was uploading, you know, what he was saying. And these two dudes with trench coats come and I could see them from my peripheral vision. And I was like, okay. And they were like, okay, I'll meet you at this spot. All right, we'll be there in 20 minutes. I was like, I don't know what possessed me to do this, but I was like, can I go? And they turn around, they're like, yeah, come on. They took me, I kid you not, they took me all over DC to like all these insider parties. I met all of these senators and representatives, and we went to, just before the Trump election, uh, and in retrospect, I'm like, this is interesting. We went to a party where the Russians um, happened to be there, and um, they were basically having a celebration about this green business that they were establishing here in the United States. And I thought it was very interesting. And later that evening, one of the head honchos who was the CEO of this business. He happened to be the former director of the FSB, and he said... Uh, For, former, former director, let that sink in from it. They're never former. Right. So we went to this little after party, and uh, now my, my friend who was in the trench coat, who I had just met, former DOD, or I should say DOD. Yeah, DOD. Um, so we go, and we're having like this breakfast at 2 a.m., and this guy says, you have a lot of spirit. You guys, forgive my Russian accent, okay? And he's like, I could make you into a killer. And I'm like, what? Who is this guy? And I'm like, no, 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 I, I don't know. <laughs> and he literally was saying these things to me. Now, fast forward, and I'm thinking, okay, did we know each other at some point? Did I work for him at some point in the SSP, like in another dimension? So, this is so crazy. Like, so what I'm gonna tell you a little bit here is quantum echoes, okay? Um, in my 3D world, what I'm learning is there are things that are lining up with what's happening in SSP stuff that I'm finding out. In my dreams, things that um, 
have come up with what you know Will remembers in his recollections and recalls. And it's just, it's very interesting. But just to tell you a little bit, as you've probably already either seen in our videos or what I'm kind of telling you about, um, I'm a former reporter and anchor, have worked for ABC, CBS, Fox, um, all the networks. And I have always felt that I was planted in the media so that I could spread light in the swamp. I literally have been on the desk just before going live and there have been things in the scripts that I did not like, and I'm like, I'm not saying that. And especially when it came to UAPs, UFOs, and they would downplay it like, ha, 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 like that's such a joke. And I'm like, no, I'm not saying that. I would like change the script so it would be, in my mind, appropriate. And what I believe the masses should know, and I would go on air like that. And guess what? My news director never said a word because he wasn't even watching. <laughs> And so I feel like there are some people who are there who are white hats and they, are, they have good intentions and they want the masses to know these things. So I feel like I was planted for that reason. Um, I was, when my news director at the time was pitching me to be at this particular station, my last stint was at the NBC in Eugene, Oregon, he said, you need to come on the station, you can be the paranormal correspondent. And so that, like, he sold me on that, but then it was a bait and switch because when I got there, he's like, oh yeah, no, you're gonna do acts of kindness instead as, you know, part, of, and sure, that's great, right? But it's not the paranormal investigator like I wanted to be. So anyway, um, I'm also a mother to this amazing daughter. She's graduating from college in May, so I'm really proud of her. Um, as you know, QHHT is what we also do in our business. So we have had some amazing clients and. Wow, some amazing things have come up. I mean, about the SSP even. Yeah, our clients are pretty awesome. Some missions that you cannot believe and things that we've even learned. Raise your hand if you've had a session with us or a QHHT session. You guys rock. You guys rock. We thank wanna, you so we much. I want to thank each and every one of you guys, by the way, because you guys are helping us get the certifications we need, and you're also helping us learn how to help more people like you. Yes. So thank you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and Johan Fritz, my divine counterpart. Yeah, yes, me. Uh, <laughs> I have a question for you, actually. Tell it, tell it, tell everyone why you coined the phrase uh, the uh, spiritual growth champion. Okay, so I didn't coin it, but um, some of my viewers. So I have a YouTube channel called Guided, helping you navigate your divine journey, and they said we feel like you help us with spiritual growth, and the, the guests that you have on your show. They're practitioners, they're people that are authors. Um, I had, um, I have guests like from all over the world. For instance, um, have you guys ever heard, I'm sure you have, The Alchemist? Yeah, okay, love that book. So there was an author who published, helped publish The Alchemist. He then later on wrote a book called The Secret of The Alchemist. He was on my show. Then we have former CIA um, remote viewer from Stargate Project, he was on my show. And just everybody brings like a different story. Sean Stone. Um, Sean Stone was one of my first guests. I mean, his dad he just interviewed Putin like what, 15 years ago? No, but, six years ago, yeah. Okay, six years ago, but the documentaries were. If you guys on, get a chance to check yeah, out watch the, 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 watch the Putin documentary interviews Putin with interviews. Oliver Stone and, and, and Vibrant Putin, strongly recommend it. it. It paints a very different picture than what we're currently seeing in the media of Vladimir Putin. And it, it, Every single person in this room, if you're watching those videos, 
you should be asking questions, what the hell is the media telling us this for? Because this is not the guy we're seeing on the camera talking to Oliver Stone. So yeah, just as a side note. Very different take on everything. So um, yeah, that's, that's where the Spiritual Growth Champion came in. And if you guys haven't subscribed to my show, oh, I get to pitch this. So go on Jody's Gems on YouTube and um, Guided, helping you navigate your divine journey. And I'm excited because I really want Tyler and Aaron to be on my show. And I've had my husband on the show and we're gonna do more series as well. Yeah, we've got some videos coming out uh, with Jody giving the rest of her testimony in more detail. You guys, if you guys have not subscribed, please do. That's we're putting a lot of that stuff on YouTube, right? We also have our services page on Facebook, services with Jody and Will. We also have a discussion group in there. So yeah, if you guys want to like and subscribe, please do. And uh, move on. Okay, and as I was saying, I feel like quantum echoes are like breadcrumbs leading us to our truth. So if you start collecting and writing down, okay, where are these bleed throughs coming through? Whether it's in my dreams, whether I'm going to a certain place, whether it's like Sedona or wherever, and you start having these strong feelings, why am I having these strong feelings? Why is this place resonating with, why when I meet this certain person, is there such the strong feeling? So these quantum echoes, these usually lead us like breadcrumbs to our truth. And I'll make a quick side note here as well. As Jody was saying, these breadcrumbs, if you guys wanna to get to understand why I am the way I am right now with my testimony and why Jody is the way she is with her testimony now, we've taken, okay, my wife will tell you this, I'm a voluminous note taker. Okay, when I wake up in the morning after a dream, I write everything down. And the reason why is because in those dreams, there's always some fragment of truth. And you have to figure out your job as the person who's viewing that dream is to figure out what your truth is. And you start seeing the patterns there are and certain the themes patterns, yes. and they mean something. So with my journey, usually like the hero's journey, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, something usually happens, right? A death, a divorce, a terminal illness, something happens where the rug's ripped from under you and like life just goes to hell. And you're like, okay, what do I really believe? What is up with everything? Um, that catalyst for me was a very difficult divorce. And like many of you who know tarot, the tower card in tarot is like that. It's like everything just crumbles, right? And then there's, it's like the death, the rebirth, and then the resurrection where you have to build again. You have to figure out, okay, what is my life all about? So I was raised in the LDS church. I even went on a mission and everything. After this divorce, I was like, I don't even know what is up. I, I don't know what's what. I don't know what I believe anymore. Um, I, I know I believe in God. I know I believe in spirit. But I, I left the church even for a little while. And there was a time that I was actually, a friend invited me to church. I was sitting in church and spirit kept like nagging at me go talk to your bishop, go talk, and I'm like, no, and it was like 4.45 in the afternoon, I'm like, no way, no, I'm never going back, <laughs> and just kept pestering me, pestering me, finally, I'm like, okay, fine, nobody's going to be there, but I'll go, so I went, and he goes, oh, we've been looking for you, and I'm like, oh, great, so then um, two weeks goes by, and they, they come, and uh, he, he talks to me, he goes, you know, so tell me your story, like, what, what exactly has happened, and, and all of that, and I tell him, and because uh, there was a 10-year custody battle. I mean, it, this was hell that I went through. And I was just questioning everything from the power structures to my life to everything. And I tell him, and he goes, 
well, would you be okay with teaching the women in the church? And I go, what? I'm like, I have very unorthodox views about things. I mean, like, I, I'm not like an in-the-box like type of thinker. Like, I, I don't really believe in like the normal things. And he's like, good, that's exactly what we need. Okay, I go, okay, here, here's the deal. I'll like prepare a PowerPoint, and if you're okay with it, I'm, it's gonna be totally weird to you probably. He's like, okay, yeah, send it to me. I prepare the PowerPoint, I send it to him. He's like, yes, love it. What, okay? Um, so I give that, and I start off my class with a meditation. That's so out of the norm for this religion that I grew up in, okay? so. I give the meditation, like after my lesson, these women are coming up to me like crying, like, oh my gosh, we've never had anything like this. And so it was just really bizarre. It was like, I was meant to go back because I had been on this hero's journey, you know, this Joseph Campbell's like treacherous, weird journey. And I was meant to go back and teach them the wisdom that I had learned and had gained. And it's, there's so many differences now and this particular, group of women they believe in different things out of the box and things are changing and so i think there are things like you people like you <laughs> you guys are meant to be where you are and you're meant to change and shift things you're, you're meant to rattle things up and do things different so if you have that fixed mindset like you know i'm never going back there i'm never doing this again please reconsider because there's a reason you go through things and then maybe you're, you're meant to go back just to, there's something you will say. Everybody has that, and I've said this on our videos before, everybody has that unique signature note that you can emanate to the choir of humanity. And so that is something that is needed right now. And you don't know how that's gonna shift somebody's life, how that's gonna change somebody's life, so please, Play your note in, in full. Regardless of your religion, I strongly urge you, if, you, if you're a Christian and you say that you're Christ-like, Christ was a radical. Muhammad was a radical. Buddha, radical. Gandhi, radical. All of these men, and some of the women that, that were there with them as well, Mary, Sister Teresa, all radicals. That's what you're being called to do in your spiritual walk, is be radical, shake the world. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah. So here's little baby Jody. Baby, baby Jody. <laughs> so the reason I have these pictures is because even at a young age, some very interesting things started happening. Um, I was seeing things and feeling things uh, that other people, like my parents, weren't seeing and they would question me about. And I remember I would, I was just, I felt very different in my family. I would say to my parents, you guys aren't my real parents. Like, I wanna go to my real home. I, I, want, I want my real parents. Like, I didn't feel like I was even supposed to be in this world. I felt like the total oddball. Um, I remember going to school and even preschool and I just felt like I would wander at recess and I, my head in the clouds thinking about really esoteric things at a very young age. It was very, it was very odd. <laughs> So um, I also had a near-death experience at five. Um, I had a very high fever, and one night I was like in between dimensions, and I remember I kept calling for my parents saying, why are you yelling at me? You're so tall, and you're yelling at me. And my dad came in the room and he's like, 
we're not yelling at you. Go back to sleep. What's, what's, it's okay. And what I was seeing, I was on a ship, and I was seeing these uh, mantid beings and um, people with lab coats, or doctor, I call them doctor coats, around me. I was on a stainless steel bed, and um, I had a reading later, and she said, you were going to, like, die, and they were trying to help you stay incarnated in this dimension, in this life. Yeah, for your mission here, right? Right, for, to stay on, on mission here. Um, so there was that time, and then there was a time when I was a newborn, where there was about 25 newborns in the hospital. I was born in a hospital near McClellan Air Force Base. My dad was in the Air Force. And there were about 25 newborns. There were only three newborns, though, who stayed in the hospital because of a high fever. I was one of them. And apparently, twice, they, they did a spinal tap on me. That's so crazy, right? And I'm thinking, okay, were they trying to get DNA? What really was going on here? So we did have that confirmed by Peter the Insider that um, there was a doctor who indeed was doing apparently experiments on newborns and young children. And I was abducted then and apparently also got nanotech, some tech um, yeah, language into my brain via, what was it, goo, some type of rainbow goo or something. Yeah, Dr. So, Daniel McKenna, right? Yeah, Daniel McKenna is the guy as a side named. Note, as a side note, by the way, just real quick, the middle picture, if you guys look at baby Jody there, right? Cute, cute little baby Jody. That's the way I was introduced to her in the programs. Yeah. I knew her from that age. From three-year-old from three Jody and five-year-old Will, that's how we met. We had talked a lot in the, as adults about what we had experienced as kids. And it wasn't until I saw that picture when she pulled it out one night and I started to cry because I knew. I knew what I experienced was real. Because He's I, like, that's the girl, that's the girl. I was like, how do you know her? And she's like, that's me. And I'm like, wait, what? So it's that moment of recognition. It's like, this is the person that went through all the same garbage with me. They went through the exact same experiences I did. You've heard, some of you have heard Tony. Put your hand up here, Tony, in the back. Mr. Rodriguez. Some of you guys have heard Mr. Mr. Tony Rodriguez's testimony about how kids are treated. Some of you guys have heard James. James is here. Put your hand up, James, where you are. There you go. So you guys have heard James talk about his testimony as well, and what we're talking about here is a very inhumane way of fracturing and treating kids, but this little girl in the red, that's the girl that I remember seeing in the programs, and when she pulled that picture out, I, I, I cried, because of that moment where I'm like, I'm like everything, every, she, that confirmed every single thing that I had knew, known about the programs, in that one brief instant, done. So yeah, um, another memory really quick. The way that they pair up people in the programs, and they create what they call twinning effects, or they look for divine counterparts, right? You hear Joni and I using that phrase. Is they're looking for people that come from the same soul group that are also psychically in sync, right? They think the same way. They do kind of the same behaviors. And they do that because as command pairs, it reduces the amount of time aboard ship to make certain decisions. Initially, that, like, Jody already knows innately what I'm going to do. Before I do it, she already knows, Will's probably going to say this, so I'll just go ahead and start doing that. 
It reduces the, the amount of time I have to do to give her an instruction. And when you're in he the moment decisions, every single second counts. That's what they've learned in the programs. So they've learned how to hotwire people, call it that, right, to be synced up that way. Now, the twinning program is an artificial way of doing that. What Jody and I are, we're divine counterparts, which is the, the way it naturally occurs within the soul system, right? We come from the same soul group. We come from this, we've been through a lot of the same uh, iterations in terms of the people we've kind of went through soul life-wise. And so Will brings up a really good point because we had the question, were you guys artificially mm -hmm. put together and twinned in the programs? And so Will's like, actually no, because we were in the same soul group. Right. And so it just happened to be a bonus that we were actually twinned in the programs as well. Yeah, and the way they found it out with us was that as kids, uh, there's the guy I talk about, some of you may have heard me mention this guy's name, Dr. Joan West. He was one of the head architects, along with Dr. Adie, who we'll get into in a little bit, with, for MKUltra. And um, he was doing a test. They'd have us come into this toy room, right? And essentially what they would do is you had, he was, I called him Mr. Simon Says. Basically, when you walked in the room, you guys know Simon Says, how many people played that game way, way back, right? Um, he was Mr. Simon Says, so when you walk in the room, you could not touch anything until he gave you permission to, in fact, touch the toy or do whatever. You had to actually ask him for permission to do so. So I would ask him, can I play with a toy? And he would say, yes, and my number in the program well was three, so he'd say, yeah, go ahead, three, you can go ahead and do that. I liked Tonka trucks, so how many of the guys here like Tonka trucks as kids, right? How many guys play with them? <laughs> yeah, right? So And women. And some women, right? <laughs> so it, I was playing with Tonka trucks, and um, the first girl they tried to pair me up with, abysmal failure. Um, then they bring Jody in, little baby Jody over here. They bring her in, and immediately we, sank, we sunk up. And the fact is they give you this injection to amplify your sonic abilities. So what happens is, this light blue shot is essentially creating the, 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 the amplified psychic twinning effect, but it's also amplifying what's already there, right? And in this case, what happened was, as I'm moving my truck, she's already moving to where I wanted to go. Every single time. We're already moving. Anticipating. Anticipating maneuvers, anticipating trains of thought, anticipating decisions. And immediately I heard Dr. West go, three and 11 are good, because Jody's number was three. Or 11. He was three, I'm 11. 11, sorry. <laughs> three and 11 are good, put them in the same cage. Which they moved us to this cage called cage number 16 at that point. And uh, that's, how, that's how I remember meeting her. So you may have heard me in some of our videos talk about how seven and 11, those numbers have followed me throughout my life, it's crazy. So we were in cage 16, which equals a seven in numerology. And then I was number 11, so it's a little wild. On my birth certificate, um, my, my name even equals those numbers. It's very odd, so yeah. wild. Um, also, um, some of you have taught, and we're finding this through QHHT as well with our, some of our clients. It's more widespread that uh, the surrogate program oh, yeah. um, is actually alive and well. So, so my mom was actually in the surrogate program. Um, she had a bunch of miscarriages before she had me, and I think those miscarriages were actually, you know, babies that were then put in. So there is the some program. discussion around what is Project Surrogate, right? And Jody and I, we've, when we talk to our clients and we're doing QHHT, we're hearing one element of it, but we also know the element that we also have seen, right? And some people in here, if some of you have done sessions with people like James, like Suzanne and others, when you're going under hypnosis, you see these um, uh, 
situations where the person's talking about things that can't quite be explained, quote unquote, explained. Uh, how many people are, I like to deal with things that are unexplained, right? And we're all here to talk about that stuff, right? Um, and you're not crazy. And you're not crazy. We yes. believe you. Um, but what we found is, is this Project Surrogate, essentially they're trying to in, it, put someone's soul into a baby's body to re-inject them back into the system, kickstart them again. And that's happening. We're finding it's actually becoming more and more widespread because they're trying to keep a certain number of um, assets in play. That's the phrase I'll use. And the, the Alliance people that I've chatted with say that's on purpose. They're doing that strictly on purpose. Uh, it's, the problem is, is that we get into this whole idea around karma. Some folks in here may be Hindi. Uh, you know the term we talk about karma and your dharma, which you have to kind of work through in this lifetime and the next lifetime. Um, how do you do that when a part of your soul, a fragment of your soul, is constantly being re-interjected back into the world, right? So you have this whole idea around it's not really a natural frame of thought or frame of for the soul to be with, with the way they're doing it. And surrogate essentially means that your parents are donating the DNA. There's a fragment of you or a soul being injected into the body that's not naturally in that uh, family tree. Mm -hmm. And so when we actually did a QHHT session, Will had me under, I could actually feel the trauma going on in my mom's stomach. In um, in, yeah, I, it was crazy. So the trauma with me started way, way early on. And I, I remember getting very, I, I even heard it on the recording, I got very emotional. And now in QHHT, you can step out and be an observer. You don't have to feel anything. You can, you know, you don't have to feel any pain, nothing like that. But for a quick little bit, I did, I, I just felt it and I felt the emotions of it. It just was flooding in. I was like, oh, whoa. And, you know, he reminded me, you don't have to feel it. You don't have, you just can be the observer. But it's interesting that the trauma started so early. And that was, that was kind of news to me. Yeah. Um, but as you know, with a lot of people who enter the programs, there's like these indicators. Uh, for instance, there's, you know, DNA or family lineage. Usually there's some type of competitive nature. Um, yeah, the, the psychological disposition, right? You guys have heard me talk about this probably in my testimony where either they have this aggressive tendency or they tend to be like overachievers. I mean, uh, my wife's got five degrees, I've got five. I mean, how can you get more overachieving than that, right? Let's make a wall, wallpaper, right, of the degrees. Um, but the point is, is they like people like this because essentially they know these people will not back down from a fight. If you give them a challenge, they're going to meet it head on and crush it. And that is exactly the kind of people they want in the programs. That doesn't mean that you were always that way, like right. in this realm. Right. For instance, you know, like I was telling you before, I was kind of that nerdy kid who um, I was picked on. And <laughs> just to give you a little insight into my family growing up, so we were this, you know, religious family, and we'd have this thing called Family Home Evening on Monday nights, right? So we'd start off with a prayer, or we have a song, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, right? And then we'd have a prayer, like, okay, let's make sure we have harmony in the home. Amen. Okay, let's teach Jody how to fight. Oh my gosh, really? My mom was like, no. So yeah, no, but my dad really did because he was like sick of people like picking on me. So I, it was like sixth grade and I learned how to fight my dad. I was like, okay, make sure that she throws the first punch. I'm like, what? I'm like, no. I was like mortified. So literally the next day, like something happened, an incident happened and I like had a fight. And 
the surge that came out of me, I don't know where it came from, but we don't it's know. like a quantum, <laughs> we do know. It was like, it's like this quantum echo. It just like came and it was like, have you guys seen the Christmas story with Ralphie, Ralphie don't shoot your eye out, right? Where all the anger just like comes, like it was crazy. It was like that. And she just like blood just everywhere. So, and the principal, me, Miss Straight A student, right? We go into the principal's office and he's trying not to laugh. He's like, girls, now what happened? And, you know, we tell him, and he's just like, oh, go back to class now. So it was the weirdest thing, but, you know, little quantum echoes like that happen, and you're just like, whoa, the aggression. So it's not necessarily like you were that way, but it's in you somewhere. They knew you know? how to evoke it out the, Exactly, you. they know how to evoke it. And so you have DNA, the aggression, right, or the overachievement, whichever way you want to look at it, the third thing that I would say in terms of the traits they look for is your family line. Do you have that psionic disposition that certain genetics have? There's a genome. We actually were chatting with a medical doctor and they've actually figured out there is a genome that allows people to have some of these, quote unquote, they call them experiences in the medical field, but it allows them to actually have these experiences. And it's also, in some cases, tied to the same genome as autism. And it's interesting how those two genes are actually sort of attached in the same genome. So it's, he was talking about this, we've actually pulled papers on this too, where we've actually found the actual, um, the actual medical papers that Harvard and some other folks have ran, yeah, really where they did the studies, they actually did what they call typing, which means they go through and they actually verify that, that gene from A to Z, of all these different people have these experiences, is the same, or at least has the same sort of gene setup, which they did. And then they were like, okay, well, if that's all the same, then what does this imply, right? And it basically meant that that particular, they know what that genome now does, the combination, right? The, the, the combination of genes, right? So another interesting time was when I actually went to get a past life regression. This is before I even knew about the programs. And the facilitator was talking, you know, taking me through everything. And she said, okay, so what are you seeing now? And I'm like, well, it's modern, it's parallel. She's like, oh, that's not a past life, that's like a parallel life. And I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay, so you know, tell me about the attire, you know, what's going on. And I did, and I'm like, she goes, well, does the person have a name? I go, yeah, it's Victoria for victory. She's like, oh, that's interesting. And later, after I learned about the programs, I learned that this was one of my altars. So this is the reason I have three pictures up is because I couldn't actually find a, the like exact way that she looked. This is what she was wearing in my past life regression. This was her haircut. <laughs> and this was the bag that she had, okay? So she was carrying this document, this like attaché bag, like carrying documents. She was like in a hurry. I just remember, oh my gosh, she's in a hurry. She's trying to go to this building and she's trying to deliver documents. So later, when Will and I get together, he like fills in the blanks for me because he remembers this too. He remembers a memory like this. And something else too, guys, just really quick. This is the, these are the buildings that I went in to deliver documents. So yeah, this if is... anybody has anything similar, um, this was actually the area in Paris. And what we're trying to get at here by showing you guys the pictures of where this stuff transpired is because it's very important when you're trying to reconstruct, rebuild memories, you're trying to pin certain uh, pieces of information down you know, Tony, you talked about in your program how you rebuild like your timeline and rebuild certain situations, right? Mm 
We do the same thing with QHHT, and we also do it within ourselves in terms of us talking with each other because it's very important to like figure out, okay, when exactly and where exactly did this transpire? And what I tell people is I always tell them to start on the environment first. You look around, in that, in that dream, look around you. What's going on around you? Because the environmental stuff sometimes usually isn't made up, but it might be a little messed up is what the term I used, right? In this case, Jody remembered that she was in La Defense de Paris, the business district. Now, in the memory I had, it was the same area because I remember that middle building, that arch you see down there, because I drew it. I drew that arch when we were talking about it. And I was like, that's where I know this location occurred. And all of a sudden, we're like, wait a minute. I remember that, too. That's kind of weird. And then we start kind of filling in the details just from the environment first. And then that's when I tell her, she's like, well, why do you have those memories? And I said, well, my, one of my altars, Victor, was in that location. Now, I haven't talked much about Victor, and we will be talking about him in a little bit, but this was one of the first times that we had a joint memory in terms of, like, actually in the programs, right? Our altars had been hired through a company called Kruger Mercenary Corps to actually do a certain job on planet, and Jody was the one who, we would call her the runner in this case, actually running these documents, ferrying these documents for the job. So. Mm -hmm. Later, I also had a dream, and in that dream, I was being escorted by two men in suits, like MIB-type suits, and they were escorting me to um, a woman who was at a desk, and she's handing me a file, and she says, okay, are you, are, will you take the job? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I look at the file, I'm like, okay. She's like, okay, great. You need to now go talk to this gentleman in the next office. And I said, okay, so I, I get up to go, and she goes, no, 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 sit down. She presses a button, and it's like the whole entire like, desk and where I am just shifts over, and it's like I'm over in his office. And I'm like, what in the heck? I just remember in the dream going, this is high-tech stuff. But I, again, I was there, so it's just bizarre. Okay. So just trying to put all the pieces together. These are just some of the same. Um, and Victoria. Okay, so... Another part of the journey was I was doing a lot of research about Montauk and mind control. And I was like obsessed with this stuff. And I'm like, why am I so obsessed with this? This is just crazy to me. So I started researching Dr. Ross Aidy, who um, the CIA put him on a project, a sub-project, MKUltra 119. And I was like, I really want to interview this guy for my show. Well, come to find out he had already passed. Spirit says he has a son. What? He has a son? Yes, he has a son. His son is named Dr. Jeffrey Aidy. A neuroscientist. Guess, a very well-known neuroscientist. <laughs> and guess where Dr. Jeffrey Aidy lived? A mile from my home. Clinky dink? Yeah, I think not. Yeah, like all these quantum echoes are crazy. So at the time, I had a job where I could just go into doctor's offices and it wouldn't be like, you know, anything weird. Uh, it just, and I left my business card because at the time I was promoting an electronic healthcare record to private practice doctors. So I went in his office, I left my card and I just put a little note. I said, I'm really interested in your dad's research. Please call me. He actually called me and he was very guarded. He's like, I need to know who you work for and what you want. <laughs> So I call him back and I go, so I really, I've read about your dad's research on mind control and he's like, that's top secret. No. I'm like, 
okay, it's real, it's real. It's like this stuff is real. So I'm like, okay, so, well, I'd, I'd love to go out to lunch with you and talk about this. Nope, I'm busy. Well, if you change your mind, no. Okay, so I asked him about 10 times, no, no, no. The answer was no. He said, what I will tell you is I did work in my father's labs. I also worked on some um, covert submarine technology where the submarines couldn't be detected. And I worked on that, a postdoc at the University of Colorado at Boulder. And I was like, okay. He's like, that's all I can tell you. And I'm like, okay. Okay, so side note really quick. That phrase, Boulder, Colorado, will oh, become yes. radically important yes. in about, oh, I don't know, a couple of slides, because we're gonna talk about some things with us in our childhood, and all of a sudden, that little place is gonna make a whole lot of sense, because all of a sudden, it'll click. Another quantum echo about Colorado is when I, I said I served a mission for my church, I was called to the Denver, Colorado South mission. Weird stuff goes on in Colorado, as we know, under the airports and tunnels and all that stuff. Okay, so what do we have next here? Yeah, the whole Montauk thing. So we both were in post-Montauk Montauk, Montauk follow-on programs. Yeah. yeah, and one of the reasons this is also important is because we've also learned from things that have come up in recalls that we were also in an alternate timeline um, with we knew about the scientists that came over for Montauk. So with the 30s and uh, yeah. World War II and all of that. So imagine so, this for a second, right? So I've never actually said this in public, so this should be interesting for you guys, to, kind of wrap, for you guys to wrap your head around <laughs> for a minute. Um, so William Nutter, me, was actually born as Johann Fritz in 1932 in Germany. Right prior to a 4D, 3D split now, why is that date important? Because in 38, the Germans were experimenting with this time technology, as we all know. We, we know about de Glocke, the ability to create certain amounts of time shift, what they call um, parallel timelines and time jumping, right? Uh, time dipping, depending upon how you want to look at it. Um, that technology that was given to them by the Lerens and the Draco created an actual another timeline that is now competing with our current timeline. They are currently fourth density, we are currently third density. Now, that's not to say that they're better than us. What it's saying is, is that in their society, ETs are in the open, their complete oppression of the world is completely in the open, and there's nothing covert. They, they put everything right in your face there but they are fourth density because the ETs they work with are fourth density. That's the farthest they can go. How many people know the law of one? Anyone? Okay, so quite a few people have read the law of one. Great, so I don't have to explain that whole thing. Um, but that's what we're really looking at here. If you've read the law of one, you realize that at fourth density, you're not probably gonna move past fourth density for service to self, right? And that's what these ETs understand. If they can keep us trapped in third density, that means their food source is now trapped in third density. They have a permanent food source that just recycles itself. And what happened was is the unintentional side effect of them giving us technology is that here we have this species that immediately jumps to fourth density in the 30s. And it's a parallel timeline competing with our timeline. In that timeline, the Axis powers won. In our timeline, the Allies won, right? Okay, that being said, so Peter and I were chatting, Peter the Insider and I were chatting with Jody, and the 
the three of us were chatting about this idea of who are we really? That phrase, that quote-unquote phrase pops up, right? Okay, let me give you a little side note. Uh, James, you've had Peter on your show a few times. You know what happens when Peter asks a question like, who are you really? You should really like drink a lot of coffee because it's going to be a long conversation. Um, oh, damn. The, the whole oh, damn statement comes out of my mouth when that starts happening because it's like, oh, here we go. Um, but the idea is, is that in that particular conversation, what came out was is Peter had pulled some records saying, essentially, he goes, you're really Johann Fritz. That's really who you are. Will Nutter is actually a cover here. He goes, you're here to actually help bring certain elements that are not Nazi-related to this timeline. I mean, the technology, the disclosure, getting ETs acknowledged by the people on, in that timeline. He goes, we're trying to avert a timeline crash. Because we know there's an event coming. It's called the singularity. These two timelines will fold back into each other. And that's what the ICC temporal agency is trying to manage is the fallout from those two things crashing into each other because there's a lot of unintended side effects that could occur. Now listen to that for a second. You know, one day you wake up and all of a sudden there's Draco out in the public, there's Lyrans out in the public, there's Zeta Reticulans out in the public, and oh yeah, there's Nazis everywhere. Wrap your head around that for a moment because that is a potential side effect of this. Our job, everyone in here, is to do our, do our work, do our due diligence, raise our vibrational energy, keep doing that every day, change our ascension path as a species. We're trying to find that quote-unquote hundredth monkey. I mean, you know what the hundredth monkey effect is. Okay, so that particular statement comes from a study in, in Mozambique, right? And that study is very important because what they find is, is that once that hundredth monkey effect happens, it creates this chain event scientifically speaking. It's almost genetically embedded, almost energetically embedded in the species. That's what we're looking for. Every person in this room is looking for that 100th monkey effect. When is it going to happen? And for us, we want it to happen in a positive way, right? Can, we, can I get an amen to that? <laughs> All right. I don't mean to be preaching up here, but I'm just saying. <laughs> former um, preacher. Former, former minister, right. Um, but, it, but it is true. We're, we're looking for that 100th monkey effect that happens in a positive way for us as a species, right? So, yeah, so and go ahead. So why do I bring up Anthony Zender? Yeah. So he was very instrumental in me waking up to the fact that I was associated with SSP. Um, back in 2018, I was still an anchor at NBC, and I was watching him on Carrie Cassidy's show, Project Camelot. I also watched him on James Rink's show, and I, his interviews, I was like, oh my gosh, he has some of the exact same things happened to him when he was younger that I did, you know, the bloody noses, like all this stuff, and I'm like, this is crazy. So I reached out to him, and I'm like, okay, I had some of the same stuff happen. He's like, well, you could be in. I'm like, oh my gosh, no way, this is weird. I don't want to be called, you know. So, and I'm like, I would lose my job. Like, I don't know, this is weird. So um, he was very instrumental in just helping me understand a lot of things and answering my questions. And um, he was just, I can't say enough about him. I, re I have recalls of being on missions with him as well. Yeah, and Anthony and I served together. He's also a Marine like me. Mm -hmm. And we also both served together in Kruger. So, Yeah, in asked. fact, I have a memory of Anthony in that alternate timeline. I think I've shared this on some of our videos, but I was basically um, undercover. I was serving drinks to Hitler's senior officers. They were in um, a big... Um, 
office room, what do you call that, the boardroom. And um, I was going in, I was trying to eavesdrop on what their plans were. And he was coming in, Anthony was coming in, he was probably around uh, 17 maybe. He was in his teens and he was in, um, my impression was at the time, he was in the Nazi Youth Corps. And I was like, I don't even know if they even had that. But that's what I was being told in this recall. And he was also undercover trying to get information. So the um, location that he also remembered, by the way, how many of you guys know uh, World War II history? There's probably a few buffs in here, right? If you guys know of a place called Birch's Garden, which was the, um, the place that Hitler and his command staff would kind of hide out when they were trying to make big decisions, that was the location that Anthony pointed to. And he didn't even know what it was at the time, but he pointed to it saying, I believe this is the area where it was. And I'm like, well, the only place in that area that I know of during World War II where Hitler would have been would have been Birch's Garden. And uh, that raised some eyebrows because he pointed directly at the, 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 the aide-de-camp's house, right? The place where Hitler and all those individuals went to, so. Yeah, very interesting. Max Spears was another person who was really, his interviews on Carrie Cassidy's show, interesting. So I'm gonna play a sound bite. Um, hopefully, it's, you're gonna hear it. Let's see if the sound is up. Hopefully it is, or maybe we can do that. Get the microphone close to it. I don't know. They used Father George Bush's DNA in a lot of. Do you guys hear that at all? No. No. Is there a way to okay. okay. I will tell you what it says. Basically, he's saying in this soundbite, they used Father Bush's DNA, and that whole line um, in this particular project. And he talks about how he's associated with Bush. And all the way to um, that line goes to Caesar and the Merovingian line and all of that. So when I heard this, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so interesting how they use different familial lineages and DNA. So as I'm doing my, my family history, so I have this dream slash vision two years ago where my great grandma Bertha comes to me and she says, you need to start doing your genealogy and you need to do especially your mom's side. It's the golden family line. And I was like, what? So I start researching and like we're related to 34 out of the 47 presidents and you know, like all of these people. Surprise, and, surprise. Right? <laughs> and it's like, and, and that grandmother, by the way, um, so that great grandmother, her daughter, my grandmother is RH negative blood type so it's just all these weird things. So 41st president, George Herbert Walker Bush, is my 11th cousin. And then, like I said, relations to all these presidents. Um, yes, you do see Trump up there. You see Obama up there. You see Reagan up there. You see all these. It's crazy. And by the way, for some of you who may be giggling a little bit, uh, Jody and I are seventh cousins. Yeah. So we're both in the same family bloodline. Quantum echo. In fact, when we were dating and we were talking about where our ancestry was from, my mom's like, are you, guys, are you sure you're not related? Or like, because we act so much alike. It's like there are things that we do. It's like, it's like we both are like, yeah, let's go do that. We both have the same taste in foods, the same taste in like what we drink, everything. It's kind of weird. <laughs> or, so, or, or perfect, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> So as far as royal relations, like the most recent that I just brought up is, you know, Lady Diana. So I'm related to the Spencers, the Mountbatten's and, and them. So she's my 12th cousin, one time removed. So it's just, it's very interesting to me how these lineages are in certain projects. I know that guy. Hey, you guys know him, right? I know, I know that Pretty guy. Pretty handsome. <laughs> 
So then I hear Johann Fritz's interview on James Rink's show on Quantum Pill Cafe, and I'm just like, okay, I know this guy. He looks so familiar, and I swear, like, I don't just know him. Like, I know him. <laughs> so I, I'm like, okay, okay, by the way, that door, when he was talking about Monarch in one of his videos. Paul Serene, yeah. I was walking, I take nightly walks as I listen to some of these interviews, and Spirit says, oh, go take, um, go take this road, a road I had never taken before. So I go walk down this road, and I see the Monarch Cottage, right as he was talking about Monarch, and I'm like, what is up with that? That is just so weird. And by the way, this, this building that we're talking about, um, when I moved to Cedar, Utah, in Utah. Jody and I lived in the same apartment building, and that particular building we later figure out was a monarch safe house because they were bringing in VIPs in there in these black suburbans with special security groups, quote unquote, right? And that's where they would actually hide these people out for a while. So, pretty bizarre. Yeah. yeah. And we met at N5D in Las Vegas, by the way. Yep. And so then... There's a few people in here that were there, right? <laughs> exactly. And then we were married later, as you know, in Sedona, Arizona, a very special place to our heart. No, that's not a green screen behind us. It was just, it was just that it beautiful. Is, it, it was just that gorgeous. And the day before, it was snowing. I like, asked, what? I literally asked God for a miracle, and that's what he produced. So, hey, I, I'm, glad, I'm glad God stole the throne. So as far as like the 3D history as well, um, I was another quantum echo is I was raised in a small town called Weimar, California. The Weimar Republic in Germany, as we know, you World War II history buffs, that was you know in Thuringia, the state of Thuringia in Germany, and just before and that's, you know, Hitler took office, there's the whole Weimar Republic. And that's important for two reasons, right? For those, again, you history buffs, Thuringia had metal, the metalworks, right? How many people know what was produced in the metalworks? Anybody? Well, every single Wunderwaffen, you hear people talk about the Daglaka, Hanabu, uh, your, uh, your Foo Fighters, the V2, V3s, all of them were produced in metalworks. All the hardware was produced there. The upper end of Thuringia is Punamunda. Which, guess what? What was fired from there? Well, your Hanabu and Foo Fighters were tested there, and V-Series v rockets were launched from there in England. So the, her family is coming right from this very same area, which is very interesting. There's military on both sides of my family. That's um, another kind of indicator for programs. Um, my military history, as far as genealogy, goes all the way back to, you know, the Revolutionary War, the Civil War, we found out, as far as a quantum echo, that there's Brigadier General Rufus Putnam who helped George Washington. His aide de camp, yeah. Yeah, and he actually was buried in... The, the town I'm born in. He was born and raised, yeah. so in Ohio. So I go out there and I find out that this guy is related to me, and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. So they, we did a little tour in you know, Brigadier General Rufus Putnam's house that's still there standing. Um, and then there is um, a very spiritual connection to Mount Shasta. That Grandma Bertha that came to me in a dream and told me to do genealogy, she lived at Mount Shasta. And she told my mom that there's this very spiritual and special, um, basically religious belief that she had, I guess more like spiritual belief she had. And it was the I am belief of St. Germain. 
and all about, um, you know, inside of Mount Shasta and inner earth and St. Germain's teachings about the higher frequencies of, or getting earth rather, to the higher frequencies so Which that exactly mankind can ascend, you know? And so that's what my mom was raised in hearing from her grandmother. So um, I've, I've had visions of inner earth as well. And Mount Shasta is, of course, as you, many of you know, the first chakra of the earth. And I, I just love going there. So I told you a little bit about my near-death experience already. Um, we'll, we'll kind of add to that in our further videos. I've already told you about- Hey, there's that Rufus Putnam guy. <laughs> the Rufus Putnam guy, and how that's a quantum echo, military on both sides of my family. And the Weimar, California, and Weimar, Germany. So we'll talk a little bit about the soul origins. So this is something very typical as well. So both Will and I come from the Elohim councils, so the God councils. And also, this is something that I actually, Will channeled something from the um, Arcturian royalty. You want so, to talk about that a little bit? So uh, do you guys understand what channeling is? How many people have ever experienced a channeling episode with a, right. with a seasoned practitioner, right? It's interesting when you have someone tap into energy that's non-terrestrial energy and they bring forth things that are important to you to start your healing process, right? Well, in this particular case, what had happened was the, this particular night, and I don't even know why this even happened, by the way. Maybe it's just the timing that was necessary for it to happen. But we were chatting about something and I started going right into a channeling session while we're just like laying on the bed chatting about some stuff. And all of a sudden it was her mom in that lifetime. Now understand this is very important because I hadn't really talked about my ET star seed origins with anybody at this point. So you guys are kind of hearing this also kind of first news, by the way. Because um, we're both, we both were from the Elam councils, but our first physical incarnation was Arcturan. So what had happening was, is that in this um, discussion, basically her mother was this queen and she was a princess in that particular lifetime. And in that lifetime, I was a general. I actually served at the behest of the queen, and there had been this massive war going on, and um, essentially the two sides came to this large stone table to kind of figure out, okay, what are next steps? Are we gonna do reparations? Are we just gonna call it truce? What are we gonna do, right? Arcturans have these individuals that are high priests that have the ability to raise the dead. And people that are in uh, these certain positions that are raised that way in certain households, like my household there and Jody's household there, her being royal and me being military, had that blessing, I would call it, the ability to raise individuals from the dead. And in that lifetime, essentially, we made the decision to, to go about the battlefield and start raising these individuals back from the dead. And when we're done, we'll see what happens. It literally stopped the entire war. Because all these folks that are coming back are essentially saying, I've seen the other side, I know what's up there, and we can't continue acting this way. It shifted the entire consciousness of that species. And we took that as kind of the beginning of a golden age. I remember coming back to that table after that was done, and the part that I remember very clearly, um, this princess, <laughs> at least not my wife, was sitting to my left with her mother, and there's a king who is the guy fighting them on the right-hand side, with, and, his, and his generals were on the opposite side of the table of us. And my twin sister and I, we essentially were some of the most feared, I wouldn't call them warlords or generals, but we were in charge of our side of the battle. 
people feared us immensely. And this general said, well, in order to bridge this, you have to marry my son. Your, your daughter has to marry my son. And in that lifetime, she says, nope, I've already chosen my beloved. And of course, I'm standing looking at the other generals, and I'm like, okay, who's that, right? And I look over, and she's looking right at me, and I'm like, oh, oh, shit. And so, yes, yeah, so there's that moment, again, that moment of recognition where our souls, at that, even in that lifetime, chose to be together in that capacity, right? And what, the reason why we're bringing this up is because we as humans have the, the ability to create this same level of shift here. How many of you believe that? That's a lot of hands going up in this room. So thank you. It's that choice, that conscious choice that we as individuals have to make a shift like that. We can create that shift. We just have to keep causing other people to also make that same choice shift with us. You know, Christ said it, and so, and so did Buddha. If you, if you want to create a world where heaven, if heaven or a higher ascended place is here, then start acting like it's here. Because by your very actions, you're, you're manifesting that into the now. You can create heaven on earth. Creating heaven on earth, It's yes. interesting. When we first met, I kept seeing this, like, energy of blue around Will. Mm -hmm. And I kept seeing, like, every time our souls would almost be on, in the astral together, it's like we would be surrounded in blue. And then I, now I know. <laughs> it was like this Arturian energy that kind of, like, bled over. So it's, it's I, interesting. I strongly recommend checking out Astro... Uh, Vashta Narada's work. She does some great pictures of uh, our turns. Okay, so as far as SSP goes, so on, in this realm, here are some of the skills that I was trained in. I still have these skills, some of them here that have bled over, like the clairs, the different, the different clairs. In my work that I do now, um, I actually started studying with Intuitive Way, which is a spinoff of the Berkeley Psychic Institute. I started that in 2014 and started doing readings in the community and all of that, and that was a beautiful time. So I actually do a lot of rose readings um, where that's uh, looking at your auric field, where that's vibrating at at that particular time. Are there any rips or tears in the auric field? I do chakra reading, or are your chakras balanced? Um, I look at your spiritual abilities, because everybody has them. Yep. So where are they vibrating at that day? We go through all of those, and then we, I look at three past lives at that time too, in that rose reading. So among those things, we also do Reiki, we do uh, QHHT, yep. um, SIA readings, which is SSP, Information Access. So there's quite a few services that we have the opportunity to do together. And just for the record, some of you guys are probably looking at that right-hand column and seeing some stuff that you're maybe raising your eyebrows a little bit at. Um, so understand that when I was on the patent, have you, guys, you guys have heard the story about me being on the patent, right? The USS patent, right? Uh, when I got promoted to EXO on the patent, it was a decision made by the old man to basically staff this new ship as a stealth ship. Franklin. And at that point, he said, I want you to pick the 20 of the brightest people on your crew that are on your shift, because he and I had split shifts. He was taking one shift, I was taking the other shift, like the CO and the XO. He said, take 20 of your brightest, and I want you to staff the Franklin. And I said, are you sure? And he's like, that's a direct order. And I'm like, aye, aye. Well, at that time, Jody was, my, was the MIO aboard that ship, and I 
actually chose her to become my EXO aboard the Franklin at that point. So now you have two individuals staying up here before you that are both executive level officers, both in the SSP, right? Um, and when I got retired, quote unquote retired, uh, as a kind of an oxymoron, um, I actually was watching on video when they were doing what's called the ringing in. When you become a captain aboard one of these ships, they do what's called a ringing in process. So they take you into this room at the LOC, it's on the sixth level, large amphitheater, they bring all the captains in, and they basically have this individual ring a bell, and this person steps up behind him who's their EXO, and they ring the bell as well, saying that they take on the responsibility of actually captaining that ship. That's their job. And it's like a, it's a metaphor, right? But it's also like this uh, decision they make. They have to do it publicly, saying, I take responsibility for this ship and anything that happens on it. I am, I am the last stop, right? And I got to watch her do that before I was actually put under, so. I think a bleed over to that as far as a lot of responsibility. Me personally, I think being the oldest child in my family is a lot of responsibility. <laughs> I have, um, so I'm the oldest of four kids. All right, so programs and teams. These are just a handful of some of the programs and teams. And we're going to talk about some stuff. We talk about the shared stuff now. We're going to that yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So some of you may, have, you may have heard me allude to earlier this idea that Jody and I have had a lot of uh, shared experiences from the time that we were kids until we're adults. Now, I want everyone to understand this. I have never, again, spoken about this in public yet. So this is all new to you, right? So you can kind of pat yourself on the back a little bit. Um, the first thing we talked about was this caged experience, right? You, you, made me, you heard me make the statement, cage 16, my number was 03, right? When we do um, our SIA sessions, one of the first things I will ask them to do is to give me the first four digits of someone's 16-digit alphanumeric identifier. That way I can actually track down the records and I know for a fact it's that person. Does that make sense to everyone? Okay, so that's the first thing that usually happens. The second thing that usually happens is that also tells me the cage and their, their number within that cage, which tells me they, were probably, they probably went through certain programs the same way we did. Now, why do they use these cages? Well, because part of the idea is they want to condition us. If they make it so that you no longer feel pain, you no longer fear death, you no longer fear starving, you no longer fear breathing, you no longer fear any of this stuff that most physical bodies fear, your ego fears, you're, you're now actually very useful then because you can't be killed, technically. The only you get killed is if the body stops. It's also a very harsh reality, by the way. As a kid, and we don't have the picture in the deck here, but I have a picture that I was, I was going to show that Judy and I, when we were looking at it, you could actually see the, the PTSD, the trauma in me when I was at a certain age. So withdrawn. Very, very evident. And at the time, I didn't even recognize it. I thought it was just me being a kid. But when you look at it, I, I was very traumatized in that picture. Now, <clears throat> What we're gonna talk about now is also some quantum echoes in terms of when they go through these uh, caging processes, they do what's called fracturing. Does everyone here know what the term fracturing means? Anyone not know what the term fracturing means? We'll explain it real quick. Okay, so we've got a person back here who maybe doesn't understand what fracturing is, so we'll go through it really quick. Essentially what they do is they try to create alternate egos inside the mind by using trauma to create amnesiac walls around that trauma. And in that pocket, with that amnesiac wall around it, 
they actually will dump all the training, all the memories, everything inside that amnesiatic wall. That becomes the new alter, the new alter ego. And with certain keywords, certain um, activators, they can call that alter up and have it do things and your conscious mind is not aware of it. And there have been phases with this. So whatever gen you are, it may have started off with like cages and trauma and all of that. And then it went to the red light, green light type stuff. Yeah, so it MK, MK uh, Ultra, MK Pegasus, that was the trauma based. And when they switched over to 3GRT, the uh, three green, one red tone, which uh, I believe Tony, you've talked about this in your testimony at one point, I've talked about it. That was the switchover point right around 2000 where they started retraining some people, giving them further upgrades and enhancements and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, but the idea is, is that that 3GRT that three essentially doesn't use trauma, it actually creates entrainment. They actually borrowed that from another program to create uh, a more widespread entrainment and programming throughout the programs, right? Um, okay, so. Now we're going to talk about this idea of how she and I know each other in the programs, right? Some examples of how this happened. Um, the first one, uh, again, I'm not talking, I've not talked a lot about Victor. So Victor Kamkov was one of my alters. Yes, he has a Russian name. Uh, and you had Victoria, go ahead and tell him Victoria's name. Victoria Kirilovich. Yeah. Uh, the first time that we actually were discussing some stuff that kind of showed up was this job that she had been put on where um, she had been sent to Russia. And uh, her job was to actually infiltrate another organization called Murkov. Now, By the way, every time we see Putin's face, we're like, oh yeah. Whoa. It's like, hey, Putin. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyhow, how many of you folks have heard uh, Peter the Insider, he's been on James's show a lot, talk about uh, Murkov, the, the, the program called Murkov, right? Sasha Alexander Murkov, he, was this crazy Russian scientist who basically tried to create um, groupthink super soldiers called Wall Rider, right? And the idea is, is if you have a group of super soldiers that are all, all acting together in thought, you can't beat them in battle. So make, making the scary scarier. One of the, um, in fact, as far as Wall Rider and Murakov, one of the things that they used to do with me is they would hook up electrodes to my mind, and um, because I had the ability of like seeing in the future. And um, I could like visually see so in detail. They would actually make 3D maps yeah, of what I could I could see. So yeah, the term's called precognition. For those of you who uh, may not know that. Um, so anyhow, she's sent in to infiltrate this organization. Kruger is essentially told that because she had been going to these clubs trying to find a way to infiltrate Murkov, her ultra had been killed. Now, the interesting part is, is that Kruger actually believed that, which I find unusual, but they did. They sent down Victor to go retrieve the asset. Now, that, his, his job was an enforcer, and you guys may have heard me talk about that term. Essentially, what an enforcer does is, is they're the people that kind of keep the rules. They're the people that kind of enforce the rules in the system, right? They also become, tend to become usually people in power within the programs as well because they know the structure of the programs and Victor was one of these people. He was part of this group called The Hand within Kruger, and The Hand essentially were these uh, literally hand-chosen people by Gabriel Kruger to do certain jobs. They were, they were the fingers of The Hand, as it were, right? Uh, they would literally go out and do very specific jobs that Gabriel would have them go do. And in this case, he sent Victor down to retrieve this body. He said, I don't care if you destroy the body, I don't care if you bring it back, but do not leave it down there for them to use or find or do medical examinations on. That was the reason why they wanted it destroyed or brought back. 
Victor goes down, and um, what ends up happening is, is he ends up finding out that uh, she's not quite really dead. She's actually very alive. Whoops. And all of a sudden, he sees her in a bar. He comes back up to talk to Gabriel. They re reload some video footage, and essentially he sees her in this frame and says, you need to bring this asset home now. And, um, and he saw the frame through through an ocular implant within Victor, yeah. They, they do have those. Um, now, interestingly enough, um, as Victor goes to go find her, they, they tracked her to, to France. He goes to this Romanov, which interestingly enough, she's got connections to the Romanov family, weirdly enough, and, or not weirdly enough. Um, but when I mentioned that, I said, he, I remember him going to this Romanov family villa in the north of France. And she was like, well, I've got connections to the Romanovs. I'm like, what? And then uh, he tracked her all the way to the south of France. And that's where he stepped into this Murkoff safe house. And in my memory, it looked like a bunch of gun foo, which I'll, uh, if people understand what that term means. I don't know how many people know what gun foo means, right? You see people using guns and martial arts and doing all kinds of wacky stuff. Um, he ends up taking out the um, Murkoff assets that were there. And this lady, Elena Kupadev, who is the handler for uh, this facility, is sitting next to her altar on the couch. And that's the reason why I knew her face, because in that memory, I remember very clearly seeing Victor walk in the room and looking directly out here and saying, Gabriel sends his regards, pack your shit, let's go. Now, understand what just got said, because when Gabriel Kruger says, pack your shit, let's go, he's not asking you politely, he's telling you. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. He just told the asset, her altar, to get up and move. And what is happening is, Elena Kupadev tries to shoot her in the back of the head, and Victor shoots her twice in the forehead. Shoots Elena Kupadev twice in the forehead, and she's dead. So he's filling me in on the part he remembers. What I remember was the fact that I was somehow in trouble, and I'm being taken from France to uh, back to where Gabriel Kruger is, and when I was there, I was getting interrogated, and I was getting the living crap beat out of me. So our, our Norwegian friend, Mr. Olaf Anderson, you guys may have seen some of his interviews. He was doing the interrogating and beating. He, he was doing the initial beating slash interrogating in that particular episode. Um, and this is the weird thing, by the way. People have asked this question. Do you, have your altars ever seen each other? Okay, right? Imagine if you had two, uh, two copies of you, each in separate clone bodies, walking past each other where they recognize each other, right? Well, in this instance, it actually happened because Vic, Victor was leaving the room, going back for a debriefing. Johan passed him and kind of looked at him kind of weird and walks in the room where the actual interrogation's happening and eventually tells Olaf to back off, he'll handle it. He ends up handling the rest of the interrogation putting her in a regen tank to regen, and um, Victor went back and actually spoke with Gabriel Kruger telling him what had happened and what was found, uh, which is interesting. Uh, the next area that they had surfed together was uh, in South America. That, that was both in Cartagena and in Bogota, which is interesting. I actually told Anthony Zender about this um, recall first. And then he's like, well, wait a second, I remember that too, because mm -hmm. this is where I was, this is what I was doing. So right. it's interesting when you meet people who have had similar recalls or they can fill in the gaps for you, 
it's like, whoa, oh, okay, I didn't realize that An was. Anthony was on the same team that we're mm -hmm. getting ready to talk about. So mm -hmm. understand that there are governments that do hire Kruger assets and other assets like Monarch and other groups to do certain jobs for them, right? Understand this is a business. How many people understand that these are corporations trying to make money and make resources, right? They don't care who they use. In this case, you've got uh, a government, I mean Russia, that hired Kruger assets to do certain jobs for them. And what is, what is happening is, in this case, is that we got flown via an aircraft to uh, this location and essentially the job that was going on was that her team, she had a fire team with her, we call it a fire team, a four-man team. And by the way, it's four people, not really four men, but the point is is that it was her and Anthony and two other individuals that get on this bus. There's a political operative we had to kill on the bus. My guy, Victor, is actually up on a water tower with a sniper rifle, and he's watching that team. He's, he's basically the, the eyes-on situation, watching what they're doing and he's watching the, the OA. And essentially he tells her psychically, you need to hurry this up because uh, down the road there's government forces and they're gonna shoot the, the bus up regardless of what happens. Everyone on that bus will be dead. And you all included. I know is that I'm with my team and all of a sudden I just get this thought like, you've got to get all of these women and children off the bus right now, right now it's gonna blow up. Yep. And I'm like, oh my gosh. So I tell my, my team lead, like, we gotta get these people off now. And he's like, what? No, that's not part of the mission. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, no, 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 you have to believe me. We have to, it's like, okay. So he like calms to somebody else and we get off and right as we get off, the bus blows up. I didn't know there was this other person, the political person on the bus. I didn't know that Victor was up So Victor <laughs> there takes the shot. Taking a shot. He took the shot, kills the uh, political operative and then fires what's called a herf round. Does anyone here, has anyone here ever worked with uh, military hardware, military sniper rounds or anything like that? So, okay, well, there's a, a round, type round they use called a herf round, and essentially what it does is, is it actually will traverse through an object and then go off. It actually has an explosive charge in it. And I had used, well, Victor had used one of these herf rounds inside the gas tank of the bus and caused the bus to actually explode. And when the bus went up, it actually, solved two problems. It made it so the body was non-recoverable and it made sure the guy was actually dead. So, uh, okay. Um, we're gonna fast forward here a little bit because um, I know that some folks have got to, some questions to ask us. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the dinner's setting in. Yeah, dinner is setting in <laughs> a little like, bit, right? We, we apologize. <laughs> um, okay, so Johann Fritz did in fact serve with her alter, Julia Rain. That was in Kruger, MDF, and Nachwaffen. Um, and interestingly enough, the most memories I have of her altar there were actually out of Nachwaffen, which is kind of weird to say that, but it is true. Um, because I remember her when she, was, when she came aboard, I promoted her to a certain unit, and then eventually Jody got promoted to security, MIA, which is the same route I did. And, um, when I got promoted to XO, I made sure that she got moved up to MIO because I wanted people around me on my shift that I trusted. And basically what happens is when you're a command officer, you choose certain officers who you know are capable in what we would call you know, heat of the moment situations. You wanna make sure that if something happens, you have a little oh shit moment, that the people that are on your team are gonna react the way you hope they react, right? And that's what was going on here is I, I chose certain people on my bridge crew who I knew on my shift would react a certain way, and Jody was one of those people. Um, again, when we, 
as mentioned earlier, when we went over to the Franklin, I also chose her as my XO at that point. Um, now, this is where, uh, this particular altar was the one that I've got the most questions about because it doesn't fit anything that I really know, but it does, she actually has memories of him and I didn't at the time, which is very weird. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this is one of the first recalls I actually had of Will. So I kept seeing him come off in like maybe of a plane or something, but he was getting done with um, a World War II mission and um, he was in khakis. Navy khakis, yeah. Yeah, Navy khakis. And I'm thinking, uh, Navy. Okay, interesting. And I just remember he had like this really withdrawn look, almost like PTSD type look, like, oh my gosh. I've been through a lot. Can't even begin to explain to you what I've been through. And I just remember, and, and in that recall, I was his wife, and I didn't want to tell him that. <laughs> I, I, we, we had barely started talking, right? And so in this recall, I'm like, yeah, and I saw you get off in khakis. And, and in that recall, we also had a son. And I'm like, oh, how do I tell him this? <laughs> this is kind of weird. So. Um, yeah, and he was basically undercover um, doing something with the Germans, even though he was an, uh, an American coming home in an American uniform. So John was a polyglot, and yeah. essentially he was working for Alliance. They were using technology called Mobius technology to essentially send him back, or looking glass technology, to send him back in time to a certain location. His whole mission was to, first off and foremost, ferry information from Germany back to the Allies. Secondly, his job was to copy that information and send it to Alliance because they had not a lot of good information, pardon me, a lot of good information on what the Germans had and what they had during that time period. They wanted confirmable evidence saying this is what in fact they were researching and doing. And um, the weird memory I had was because when I saw William Tompkins, he was the first guy that I saw where I was like, I know that dude. Like, I know, know that dude. And I, for whatever reason, when William Tompkins talked about this guy of meeting these spies in that tower, you guys remember some of his testimony where he talks about this? That's kind of what I felt was my role as, as John Sherman. I was the guy that, that he might have been meeting that was relaying all this information to them. Um, but all of it was this stuff that was basically being copied off of German files had a lot to do with the Wunderwaffen, the technology, the, uh, the ideas the Germans were coming up with, and also, too, pictures of the beings they were working with. And that was the hardest for this command structure to get their head around. You weren't dealing with just humans anymore. You're now dealing with ETs helping the Germans. So that kind of changed the game. Um, the second group of missions that they did together, meaning um, this is Julie Lemming and John Sherman, um, MI6 had requested some help from Alliance in terms of dealing with this threat to the English crown because they thought if it destabilized, it would create a lot of issues. Um, and this had to do directly, who's heard of Shaw House? You heard of the, some of the stuff that Peter's talked about with Shaw House yet? So this group, um, essentially, uh, Julie, Julie Lemming and um, John Sherman were sent in to kind of deal with certain issues with this. They took the assassins out, the would-be assassins out. The problem is, is that in doing that, it kind of brought down the ire of Heather and Janet Shaw, which if you guys have ever heard uh, Peter talk on James's show specifically, you guys know uh, what that's like. That's like kicking over a hornet's nest. So 
Um, but we had to deal with that. And at one point, I actually thought her altar had died in that lifetime because of some stuff they had tried to pull. Um, and then, of course, the last thing that I made note of here was uh, they did recover, uh, John and Julie did recover a lot of Mobius devices. Mm -hmm. Now, Alliance essentially gave them a secondary mandate. They said, while you're out doing your missions, if you come across this time-altering technology, this area of effect altering technology, we want you to capture it, disable it, and stash it so we can come get it later. And that's what he had done. John had basically set up this underground network of stash points all over the world. And as he found this stuff, essentially he would um, go through and basically stash this stuff there, and then the Alliance personnel would come in and get it and remove it, and they would destroy it. And um, to understand what this stuff does, if you can imagine it having a, a bubble over a certain uh, geographical area in the world, and inside that bubble, everyone acts differently because the technology keeps putting into their subconscious these little tiny thoughts, these little tiny feelings, right? You need to be agitated. You need to be upset. You need to be angry. You need to be whatever that is. That technology does that. And it does it in what's called an area of effect inside that bubble. Um, areas that I remember having these bubbles was Europe during World War II, uh, Russia, Syria, and a lot of other countries as well. Um, now, eventually what had happened was they found out that this technology actually was not human originated. It was actually ET originated. So we know that ETs have been manipulating timelines around us for a while. And this kind of, this was the first physical tangible evidence we had that went back to Alliance saying this is exactly what happened. This group absolutely was doing this and here's how they did it. We had the, we had the actual hard evidence, the, the black and white, if you want to call it that, of how they did it, right? Okay. We, okay, so we mentioned that we would get back to Colorado. So oh, yeah, as yeah. far as Colorado, the um, facilities that we were taken to underground as children, mm -hmm. um, they were outside of Boulder and we know that as the Breckenridge area, and a lot of you probably know that as like the Breckenridge Resort and Ski Area. How many of you know that area? Okay, so there's a lot of... Um, How many of you guys also understand Department of Energy has a facility there? At Breckenridge? Wow. That's a big deal because DOE, in my opinion, work hand-in-hand -hand a lot of times with Monarch and MKUltra facilities. They're actually, these programs will resell the actual dumbs, the d deep underground military bases, to DOE so that they can reuse them later on. So you have these scientists coming into this space where children have been essentially tortured, and they're re reusing that space to run whatever experiments they're running or weapons tests. And the thing is, if you have a kid that all of a sudden becomes psychically active, and you see this massive psychic burst happen where it affects you know, a whole area, DOE can come out and say, you know what, we had a weapons discharge, sorry, our bad. And all of a sudden people go, okay, because the media, what are they going to do? They're going to tell you that's exactly what happened. The weapons discharge happened. Not that this kid had, this little tiny kid just had this massive psychic event, right? And that's exactly how this stuff happens. They want to be able to cover that up as quickly as possible. So for us, that facility was um, Monarch and Murkoff. Yeah. Sadly, with uh, Sasha Murkoff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Crazy scientist. And getting back to this list too, right? So you've got, again, Nockwaffen, Mars Defense Force, um, a lot of projects 
this hand group we talked about here on the right-hand side, right? I'll be getting more into um, the Green Dragons in, in a video. Yeah. Um, I talked a little bit about it, though, but as uh, a teen, I did train with them, and um, that was very interesting. So. And for those people who are interested in Monarch and what mo how Monarch infiltrates Hollywood, there's two programs that are listed on here, Project Helios and Project Showgirl. Those specifically are used and how they handle movie, TV, and radio stars. People who are musicians, people who are producers, people who are the stars you see on, on the screen, here on, the, here on your audio recordings. They're the, that's how they handle them. Also, Project Sapphire, that's something that we channeled one night and we ended up um, having it lead to something with the Clintons, which is bizarre. But, but it's also the direct tie-in, what happened right before Jeffrey Epstein. That's true. How many yeah. people know who Jeffrey Epstein is, the, 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 sick, the, the sick mofo he was, right? And I, I use that term lightly. Um, that project, Project Sapphire, was a project that was a lead-in to um, that whole thing, how, how you have Mossad. There are a lot of people involved, though. Mossad, MI6, and a bunch of people who mm -hmm. were involved with that. Also, Project Dark Star, that was um, a recall that I had, and um, we were basically being chased by an adversarial force, and we were getting ready to um, basically be blown up. And then mm. he says, type in Project Dark Star, and we just went through this force field and we got away. Yeah. So that was that. All right. So we have a lot more, but you know, we're getting tired, I can tell. So it's time for Q&A. How about that? <laughs> so and just as a side note, if you guys have cell phones and you want to actually go to our website to see what we do, you can use that QR code to the right, actually point your camera at it, and it'll actually take you straight to the website. It'll give you a little yellow indicator usually around it to light up the web link. Um, you can go to Facebook. You can join us there. Uh, you can also join uh, Jody's uh, guide, Guided help, Helping You Navigate Your Divine Journey and services with Jody and Will. So, yeah, thank you guys all so much. All right, so what? <laughs> thank, you. thank you. I'm going to step around today. So what questions do you guys now have for us? We've got a little bit of time here. We wanted to leave a little bit of time because we know we just did a massive brain dump on you guys, right? And also, real quick, I do want to acknowledge those people on the live stream. Oh, Thank yeah. you so much for joining us. Yes. And I know even though you're not here, you're here in spirit and energy, and we thank you so much. All right. So what questions do you guys have for us? Any questions? You want to put your hands up? Anyone? Okay, go ahead. So you're asking the question, how many altars can you have, right? Okay, how many people have heard of a guy by the name of Stuart Swordlow? Anyone? Okay, a lot of hands going up, that's good. If you haven't heard of him, you need to go read his books. Um, Stuart is, a, in my opinion, a very prolific writer. And one of his books called 13 Cubed talks specifically around this topic. He, he comes at it in the, in the form of like trying to peel an onion if you want to call it that, right? Because with this particular area, you have to peel this back like an onion very slowly. Um, to answer your question directly, what he says is, he says there's 13 times 13 times 13 potential max altars at any one point, which is two, my math here, 2,196 or 2,169 altars. I can't remember the exact number because I'm trying to do brain math and I'm really tired. Um, 
But the point is, is that uh, there's over 2,000 altars that can be generated at the time of birth. Now, what happens is, is at age two, age four, age six, age eight, up through age 12, there's a chemical in your brain called GABA. Does anyone know what GABA is? Okay, go ahead and tell us what it is real quick. Okay, it's called gamma ambutyric acid, right? That actually creates the neuroplasticity inside the brain. That neuroplasticity is how they create alters. Make sense? So, at those ages, that GABA drastically plummets. This is why little kids learn faster than we do, by the way, just in case you're wondering. If you want to go get some of your learning skills back, go take some GABA. But the idea is, is that that particular chemical, as it plummets as kids get older, that also limits the number of maximal use alters in them when they step into the programs. That's also why there's new studies out saying that that will actually help the neuroplasticity mm -hmm. of the brain, so for Alzheimer's and stuff like that. Yeah, uh, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, any of those diseases. But the idea is, is by the time you're about age eight, there's usually around 80 to 85 alters max that can be used that won't fold back into the subconscious. And at that point, out of that 80 or 85 alters, usually you have around two to five strongs, they call it strong. Have you guys, has anyone here read Fritz Sprigmeier's work, uh, How to Create an Illuminati Mind-Controlled Slave? Again, another great book to go read, although it is a bit lengthy and a bit dry. Uh, it's kind of like reading the Bible when you're not drunk. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so. And we don't yeah. do so. So anyhow, um, so he says in that book, that usually two to five strongs are created initially, and then after that it's all weeks, with called a weak altar, right? So the altars you just heard me talking about are my strongs, right? They're the guys who are capable of executing mission plans without fail. And Jody's altars you heard listed on there are also strong. That's why they're paired up that way. They want two strongs in a command position in case one happens to need help, right? Basically, carrying the weight would be the term we would use mm -hmm. in the programs. That's the, we use that term a lot. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about being paired up, you know, we've had some clients say, does everybody have a divine counterpart, or are, are they all command pairs? And not everybody is trained that way. No. So do you want to mention that? So, um, so when you look at the, the idea of twinning divine counterparts and who actually goes through that, that boils down to a mixture of things, right? First off, is this person who is technically, a, could be considered a divine counterpart here on earth in this lifetime? That's the first number one consideration. We're talking programs. That doesn't mean like you don't have a divine counterpart. We're just talking about twinning and, and programs. Yeah, that's the first thing they look for. Is that person here in that particular lifetime, yes or no? If they are at that point, that is when they say, okay, if that, that person's here, we need to locate them. And what they start looking for is what they call temporal signatures, meaning that the actual signature attached to your actual star-seated soul when it stepped into this lifetime and created, as Jody mentioned so eloquently earlier, the note that went out to the chorus of humanity. The minute that note gets emanated, they track it down because they want to know who that person is for you, right? That's the only way it makes sense. You have to find this person. That's why with Jody and I, they kind of went through this whole like weeding out event had to weed certain people out who he knew weren't that person. So, and yes, you're correct. There are some people who don't have this. In their missions in the programs, they're deemed actually as single solitary actors. You may have someone who's a black ops person, someone who's an assassin, someone who gets used in a certain way that they don't want attachments to them in the programs. 
In those cases, they wouldn't twin them. They wouldn't make. They wouldn't use a divine counterpart. So, any other questions? Good. There's a mic right here. It's okay. We don't bite. We appreciate your questions too. So and we do appreciate your questions. So, for these counter altar parts, do any of them function, operate in parallel timeline? In go. parallel timeline. Can you ask lines. a question again? Sorry. Ask it again. Your counter parts, your altar parts. Yeah. Are any of them operating in parallel timelines? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, not necessarily previous lifetimes, Correct. but parallel timelines as well. So, when you hear Jody talking about Victoria, Victoria is still technically in the programs. She's still up there. When you hear me talk about John Sherman, he's still in the programs up there. But he does do a lot of stuff down here as well. So yes, the, the answer to you is this. They are operating in this timeline, but because they're in a clone body and that part of us has been copied into that clone body, they can operate independently of us. And that's how these programs use, use us, is to create these individuals who can go do these missions. My question is that we all are sovereign beings, mm -hmm. one creator. Sure. Then we have a higher self. Now, you take, take, say, take myself, you split my soul, I have a five altars. Mm -hmm. Does my higher self still able to influence my altars because Part of my soul, my sovereignty, is now sovereign in the altars. The answer to that is yes. Altars look at your soul, you, as the oversoul, the same way we look at God as our oversoul. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, when, so when they look at us, they look at us as we're the layer in between them and God. Right. That knowledge gives hope yes. to yes. all of us. Yes. 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 Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you touched upon hope because before coming to this conference, I thought, okay, what is the energy that I want to relay and what is the energy that I hope we all can be in? And that is of hope because even though we've been through a lot of these types of experiences along the way and a lot of them have been challenging, we know that we can heal from these things. And I hope you know that because we can. Good. Is, is the mic on, Chris? Is this working? There, there it go. is. There we go. Last question was really good, and I've actually got a couple. <clears throat> My sure. obviously, I'm uh, all about remembering because they erase your memories when they're when they're done with you with these. So people that are remembering these and uh, experiences and speaking out of them are kind of rare, but, uh, as opposed yeah. to the numbers that are going into these programs. My question to you guys is, how long have you been remembering this? And I'll, I'll wait for your answer before my second question that tees off of that. You had memories to this pretty early, right? Is that correct? I would say around 2000. Okay, so the catalyst for me, my divorce, like I said, that catalyst moment, everything started pouring in. It's like it cracked me open, and, and everything started pouring in. And um, the, the dreams, I kept having military dreams. Even in my first QHHT, I had all these off-world experiences, and I'm like, what is this about? But that was 2003, right? Um, that was around 2010. 2010, yeah. sorry. 
So for those of you who heard my testimony, when I had my first uh, hypnotic session, that was in 1995, right? I had that session recorded, it was written down, and I did not look at any of that until 2012. So because I looked at that time period in my life when I went through that healing process, I said, I can't go back to that energy. And I was actually very afraid of it, to be blunt with you, because I didn't know what I was going to dig up. I didn't know what I said under, under hypnosis. And the thing is, I, I thought, you know, I'm going to be sitting there talking like a crazy man. Yes, you know, so I got three arms, and I'm, woo, you know. Uh, but the fact is, is what happened was, is the lady who ran the hypnosis session, the, the number one thing she told me was this. When she handed me this packet of stuff, she said, first off and foremost, I'm giving this to you for your records. You should read it at some point. She goes, I do not want it in my office because I do not want people from the government showing up asking me what I know about this. She goes, there's too much information in here that's too detailed, and I can't talk my way around it. Secondly, the thing that she said, she goes, pay very close attention to the notes I took when I asked the professor about the German spoken during your very first recall. Now, in 2012, I had, for whatever reason, I had these moments where I was just like, let's go back and look at it, right? Let's go down memory lane. Ooh, that was a bad mistake because I crack open this hard drive, I start pulling this stuff out, and in there, in one of the notes, it says that that particular dialect of German died out in 1943 in Germany when Third Army rolled through Germany. So. Yeah, to your point, though, also, um, Tony, like I mentioned in my slide deck, I feel like if you look at the different breadcrumbs and the quantum echoes and the yeah. bleed-throughs, like this just came to my mind right now, I forgot to mention it, but my piano teacher's husband was a German teacher in our community college, and he would give me these German to English dictionaries, because I loved languages, and he's like, yeah, and I'll help you with that. So it's just like these weird things that like <laughs> along my life path, you know? Second, second question. Yeah, I've heard I've heard it many times the same kind of experiences from people that get similar dreams. So there's a lot of people, there's a lot more people that remember these things that don't want to speak about it. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Uh, my next question is the people that are speaking about it, does exposure to this information from other testimonies like mine or Randy's or anybody else's that are coming forward, like, is this affecting your memory process? Like, do you, do you feel that, I mean, do you watch the other videos? Because at a certain point, I quit watching new information because mm -hmm. it was affecting my own intake and how I was processing my own experiences. So I'm wondering if you guys go through the same thing. I'll let you answer that first. Quite frankly, I don't have a lot of time to watch a whole lot of other, so I, I haven't had that issue so far. So um, I, we've just been so busy on the road that I haven't had a whole lot of time other than concentrating on our own stuff. So here's but. how I'll answer that question directly. Um, my testimony when I translated the stuff in OCR and scanned everything that Connie gave me, the bulk of that I already had in written form. And I had went through it, I had cleaned it up, I knew what was said in there. So there were certain things that I couldn't finesse or work my way around because they're in black and white, right? Um, secondly, I, was, I started having really, really vivid dream recall around that time because in, in December 2012 I had an ND myself. And when that happened, that blew what I call the third memory cap in my system. Like anything that was at that point blank slated, it was like, nope, it's all boring out. Have fun with that. And here I am. So as that started coming out and this stuff started resurfacing, um, 
I, you have to understand when I was in the military, I had a lot of issues with alcohol, right? So I was using alcohol to repress my ability to process emotions and dreams and all that stuff. Here I am now and I'm sober and I have this crazy stuff going on inside my head. And I'm like, what in the hell do I do with this, right? This is why I'm recommending to all of you, if you have dreams, write them down because you have no idea what that may in fact be. Whether it's a processing dream, whether it is a, an actual recall, whether it's a memory or whatever, so. I think also something that we've learned from doing QHHT is if the subconscious is not, um, or the person's not ready for the subconscious to release certain information, it won't, and it will protect the person from whatever information, yeah. right? Because the person may not be ready. So oftentimes we'll say, it, it, if the person's ready at the appropriate time and place, that information will be accessed. So I feel like as we further evolve and we become ready, certain information will just pour out. Sometimes like a fire hose, sometimes drip, 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 but it, it all depends. And I just think that once we are ready, it will come through. And understand this too, guys. The other, the other side of this too is, is that, okay, thank, thank you, you, Tony. Tony. Um, understand this too, right? So the other side of this is that along with these memories and dreams, People like Jody and I, when we start having these recalls, we're also having the emotional backlash of all of that coming up with it on top of that. So here we are, we're literally reliving the memory in the moment and we're going, what is this? Like I'm, the one dream I had, and Jody was actually there the first time it showed up. Uh, we, we hadn't been married very long, I don't think, when I had my, this dream about my call the three clowns. Have you guys heard me talk about this particular recall? So, and I, I'm not afraid of clowns, but in this particular recall, <laughs> the screen memory was, I saw these three clowns and they were coming at me and I'm like, okay, first off, why do I have this immense feeling of fear looking at three clowns who are basically, they're stupid. They're, what, what am I afraid of them for? Um, secondly, why do I keep getting this weird, like the smell stuff kept showing up in the dream. Like I could smell Draco. And if you guys understand what Draco smell like, there's no hiding that odor. So at this point, the first, and as this is happening, by the way, she's actually in the here and now, laying next to me, and I'm going through full body convulsions. My whole body is shaking. I am literally I like, like- Is he having a seizure? I, what is going I on? I literally was, she thought I was being electrocuted in bed. High voltage electrocution in bed, because in the cage we were being electrocuted and my body was fully reliving that entire amount of trauma all at that exact moment in time. And the next night I had the exact same dream again. Now this time one of my alters stepped in and I, he said, do you want to see the truth of what actually happened to you? He goes, if you do, there's no going back. He goes, you cannot unsee this. And I said, I have to know the truth, so yes, I take yes. And that was really hard because the next thing I saw was these three Draco, one of them being a royal prince, walking up at me. Now imagine being an eight-year-old kid, a little tiny kid, and you see a 13-foot-tall white reptilian. That should give you the idea of how scared I was as a kid. This thing looked like everything that you could possibly imagine as Lucifer, except that it was white. It is that. The wings, the, 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 the claws, the teeth, everything, right? So for me, I see this and I'm like, okay. I, and he, he's like, you don't need to have the, the, the fear about this. 
Because but you need to understand how we were created. Because understand why you have the intense dislike for the reptilian Draco that you do. Because I did, and I still do to this day, by the way. If you guys have heard my testimonies, you know how I talk about them. I don't like them because they manipulate us. But in that memory, as Jody would tell you, the second night, the convulsions almost immediately stopped once Johan allowed me to see the truth. And he also showed me what happened. Because I saw her there. I also saw her sister there and some other people there. My sister's in the programs, too. My middle sister. Right. So there's all these folks I started naming right when I came out of the dream. All this data I started naming. I just fully described the whole area. I could tell her exactly what was going on in depth, in detail. So there, there is kind of a price to be paid when you, if you want the recall. But the thing is, is like it's also about healing, right? That's the other side. I think that's kind of what you were getting at, Tony, if I'm hearing you correctly. There is this process where those of us who have absolutely been in have to heal through this process. And that's why Jody and I do what we do is that when we find people who come to these events and they are in fact experiencers like us, like you guys, um, our job is to figure out what modality, what we can do to address the actual pain and start doing trauma care. That's really what this is, folks. We're literally doing emotional, physical, psychic, mental trauma care to people. It's one thing to get your memories back, to get your recall, then what do you do with the information, right? Okay, it's great, you write it down, you share it with others, you connect, but then there's a point in time where you have to heal, you have to integrate all of that. Yeah. And that is some deep, hard work, but you can do it, and we are also here for you. Yeah, well. so, as I said earlier, that, that's the reason why we do what we do in our business, is that we, when I stepped into this, I originally did not want to step into the SSP world the way I did. Actually, I didn't want to come out. I'll, I'll be blunt with you. And some of you may have heard me say this originally. I, I was actually convinced by a guy who was running a SSP group on Facebook. Uh, he actually had me talk with this lady from Spain, then he had me talk to James. And I, was, I even told James, I think, on our very first video, I was like, I don't know that I really want to do this because it's just really hard for me talking about this stuff in a way that if I'm not being authentic, and I said, if I'm being authentic, I said, I'm going to say some things that might offend some people. It might hurt some people's feelings. And that's why you guys, if you've watched, especially my testimonies and now Jody's, you see the reason why we come across the way we do because we sincerely feel the way we do because of what we've experienced. We have a question right here. Thanks for your patience. Go ahead, sorry. <laughs> so Jody, um, specifically to you, sorry. You go ahead, no good. <laughs> um, She's my beautiful wife, go ahead. So going, going back to that meeting where you were kind of yanked in DC. Oh, yeah. And you're meeting with Americans, and then there's also Russian businessmen there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and you spoke of, right, you spoke of one who was ex, ex FSB. Mm -hmm. um, do you remember his name by chance? I don't. I'm sure if I connected with the DOD guy, he could tell me. Or do you I, remember the company that he ran in Russia by chance? Like, was this, like, in the 90s? Like, was he no, in the no, FSB then? No, no, this was then? actually 2014. Okay, so he, yeah. He or 2013, lingered. going, it was, it was before the election in 2014, so it sure. was 2013, yeah. 
Okay. Um, but I could probably locate the green business that they were establishing here. Okay. And all of that. But um, why do you want to pipe something? <laughs> I, I was just curious if I could identify the guy. Um, like if he came from the Yeltsin era or if he came oh, from the Putin okay, era. Okay, I see what you're saying. To see what era, yeah. I could I could probably locate that for you. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We have one more question coming up. Hey James. Yeah. Hello. Um so I've known you probably about two, three years now. Yeah. Um so first thing I'd like to mention is I have been keeping a dream journal journal. And uh, about six pages, uh, six months of pages, um, it's probably about 12 pages it disappeared from my journal. So um, I'm really not, I, I, I kind of gave up on it because I have no idea. I, I, I'm assuming another aspect of myself stole it or I'm not quite sure how that works, but if they don't want you to know, you're kind of out of luck. But um, my question to you is, in some of the videos that we've done, uh, you mentioned that there's going to be a schism with Dark Fleet around, I think, 2024, if I'm yep. not mistaken. So, in that particular timeline, the Alliance, uh, well, a third of uh, Dark Fleet breaks off to create the Alliance, which works with different aspects. I'm guessing Solar Warden and so on join in. But um, you remembered a negative timeline where Hillary Clinton was president, and then we had nuclear war, and then Nachwaffen uh, came to help or the alliance came to help around Correct, 2032. Yes. So if we are on a positive timeline without the nuclear war and all that, do you think we'll start seeing help around 2024 where super soldiers will be able to get assistance or do you think they're just gonna keep ignoring us and well, pretend we'll just go away or something? That is the big question, right? So And a good one. <laughs> and a, and a, it's a great question, actually. This kind of leads into some other stuff that we were gonna discuss, but we didn't wanna go way over on time. So um, to, to answer your question directly, in that negative timeline, what James is talking about is that what I remembered as Johan in that timeline was that in 2016 there was a huge civil war in the US because the Electoral College basically broke down during a vote. Now think about what we just had happen during our last election cycle, right? This should make everyone take pause for a minute because we're seeing quantum echoes of that now, right? Secondly, in that timeline, when that schism happened here, meaning within Earth, the U.S. essentially imploded on itself. It couldn't maintain its debt. Uh, the Chinese and the Japanese came to collect their debt, and you also had Russians coming in with them to help kind of mop the mess up, and it created this huge kind of battlefield in Northern, Northern America. Now, that went on until 2032. For 16 years, you saw that happening here because there were certain pockets of resistance that just would not die out. And they had just way too many guns and ammo. But the point is that they, they weren't willing to give up without a fight. So that, that's what happened in that timeline. Now, in 2032, which is what you're talking about, that is the date, the time period where we started saying, you know what, we're just going to show up in orbit and start bringing down medical supplies and seeing how we can help people down here. And what ended up happening was is at that exact moment, that's where all of a sudden the SSPs were known to the people on the planet. No other government could say, you don't exist anymore. There's no way to get around it because we're seeing 100 ships in low orbit right above Earth. And guess what, they're all ours, right? Now, to answer your second part of your question, this is the more difficult question to ascertain because with 
Looking Glass and some of these technologies, if we had access to that, I could probably give you a direct answer. But the problem is, is that because of the singularity event where these two timelines are kind of collapsing back in on each other, they don't know the exact date when this is going to happen. And what ICC, the Templar Temple Agency, ICCTA, is essentially mandated is that they, they're basically trying to do what they call a controlled glide into these two things crashing into each other. Does that make sense what I'm saying? How many people have ever seen an airplane crash, right? So if you have, essentially what you're trying to do is you're trying to slow the airplane down just enough that either it glides and kind of lands gently or at least doesn't try to kill everyone on the aircraft, right? That's kind of what they're trying to do with these two timelines. They're trying to gently glide them into each other and see how many people they can save, right? And I, the reason why I state that is, is because they don't know what the actual outcome is. They know there's a strong propensity that if we here in this timeline are doing the right things and we're trying to change our trajectory, we may have enough arc in our trajectory that this other fourth density timeline doesn't actually take effect or hurt us. That's what we're trying to aim for, the outcome-wise. And when Jody talked about hope, and you guys mentioned hope earlier, thank you to whoever that was, um, that's what we're actually hoping for, is that in that end result, the, the timeline outcome essentially says that we do not have a crash and burn effect. There's not a wiping effect that might happen, right? I do believe that you will see SSP assets being shown more in the media and in the news. Because at some point, I, I've been told multiple times, they can't hide this stuff over and over and over again. And that's what the, the media is doing right now. We, we see it. How many people in here have, have watched the, the news and been like, how are they putting this garbage on the screen because we know this is fake? How many times? <laughs> it's, it's now propaganda. Literally, the US is the laughing stock of propaganda. I feel like every day I turn the news on, we literally have our Baghdad bobs on TV who are saying, oh, there's no Americans out behind us, and here's Third Army rolling right behind the guy. You know, how many people saw that video in Iraq, right, during Desert Storm 1? This is exactly the same thing. We know what the truth is, and we have our Baghdad bobs telling us differently. Right. I think also, James, to the part of your question where you asked, are we going to get help? I right. think also we're going to get help from our ET friends from yes. different groups as well. So I think that's going to be great. The, the reason why I think Jody's alluding to this is because something we have talked about in one of our videos where originally the Galactic Federation said there's a non-interference policy. And what happened was essentially the negative ET groups ignored that policy. The positive groups have been playing into it. There's going to be an event at some point where they say, you know what, we're no longer going to acknowledge the non-interference policy because if, if these groups try to do this to Earth, then we're going to step in and we're going to have to stop this. And that's another, again, Hunt monkey effect, right? When is it that the Palladians and the Lyrans and the Hydeans and all these groups that have sort of a little bit of animosity toward the Draco finally say enough is enough? Right? And we may see that happen, to answer your question directly. I also think we can affect the timelines, um, yeah. the egregory and all of that through the frequency that we keep. So as Dan Winter says, you know, clean astral hygiene right. and keeping our frequency high, we can affect all of that. And something also, too, that Peter told you on your own show, right? He said in April, of, I think it was April 12th, uh, 2020, the egregory, which is like the collective uh, astral intelligence of our species right here on Earth, for the first time ever switched from being negative to positive. 
Mm -hmm. Right? And he said, he said, that was an interesting event because the minute that switched over, he said, all of a sudden, these, these negative entropic ET groups that we've been having problems with all of a sudden couldn't continue doing the same crap they're doing. And of course, when Peter says crap, I always kind of giggle because he says it like a little two-year-old crap, you know, so anyhow. Go back in time and right. try to reset the timeline with a different different experiment on how to modify things. Correct. Yeah, and this is Mobius Tech too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yes, sir. You guys okay with uh, two questions from the sure. live stream? Yeah. Good. Uh, okay. First one is: What percentage of people have alters and are blank slated, and uh, and what percentage of people who don't know? So here's my answer to that question. Um, if you look at the number of people like Jody and I who, and Tony and others who talk about our experiences, I mean, we can count the number of people who are actively talking about this probably on two hands and two feet. And there are millions of people in the programs. A very, very small percentage, going directly to Tony's point earlier, right? Very small percentage. And the reason why that's important is because of exactly what you mentioned, Tyler, when you talked about this idea of blank slating, right? The technology actually works the way it's supposed to. The problem is on some of us, like Jody and I and Tony and James and some others, eh, it doesn't work quite as well. And we start getting these little glimmers of what we used to see. And as we start writing this stuff down, all of a sudden we start seeing patterns. And patterns become themes. And themes become memories. If that makes sense to everyone. Go ahead is how do you know that you are not an alter and that you are the original being? Um, I actually answered this question. We talked about this actually when Jody and I first met in 5D a while back. Um, Misha Johnson asked this question. There's a real easy way. If you look at your thumbprint, right? If you're a, an alter, you're in a clone sleeve. What they call it, if you guys watch Altered Carbon, the TV show, anyone? Okay, so that for those of you raising your hands, that, that sleeve has a, uh, in the thumbprint area, in the programs, they, they, they put a copy of the 16-digit, uh, your actual 16-digit serial number in your thumbprint. So if you were to take a thumbprint and magnify it, and you see 16 digits there, you're a clone. I think I, think I just red-pilled half the room. Go me. Secondly, secondly, I'll say this as well. I'll say, I'll say this as well also, by the way. Most people in this room are probably not clones. For one very simple reason. Because for the people that are clones, usually their 1.0 body is being used somewhere else in the programs for a very particular reason or it's in storage. So usually these alters, they know, they have what's called this rehoming effect and they typically will try to seek that, that higher conscious that the gentleman back here talked about earlier. They'll try to seek that higher consciousness out. So they do look for, the, for that higher consciousness. So, so that would be uh, a normal microscope or would it have to be like a specific high-powered microscope? Okay. <laughs> so when you look at your normal thumbprint, right, most people have that curly cue effect in the thumbprint. You'd have to really zoom in on that to see the ridges in that thumbprint. Now, for most people, you're not going to get a high enough magnification going to Walmart buying a, 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 mag, a microscope. But 
you would need a very specific range of microscope to look at the ridges and see what's actually there. And the thing is, those numbers are actually burned into place. So it's very clear that when they're there. That's how we actually track asset tags, that and the fact there's an implant usually in the medulla. So. Right, thank you. You're welcome. Uh, any more questions? What time are we at? Yeah. Five more minutes. I was wondering if you can see what the altars are doing. I've heard some people can see what their altars are doing. That's okay. part of our SIA sessions, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so the question she asked was, is can people see what their altars are doing and what they're doing up there? Are they still round? Have they been used? You know, dot, dot, dot. The answer to that is yes. So um, there are people who have the ability to pull down those records, I, I do, Jody does, Peter has, there's a lot of us that do it now because we're trying to get as much of this information flooded into groups like this as possible because if someone has been using the program and they are an asset, you need to know how you've been used. It's that plain simple. Because um, it informs the way that you heal as well. It does, it does change your healing path because we've noticed that there are a lot of times quantum echoes showing up from these altars that show up in our lifetimes that's essentially our subconscious saying, this part of you is not healed yet. And understand all of these quote unquote superhero altars, right? I've heard someone use that phrase. The only reason why that altar exists is because you do. That means there's a part of you that's also a superhero. Understand that for a minute. That means that a part of you has the ability to do all of these things that people talk about with these altars. So when you have that ability to do that, that means that these altars are actually a part of you. You are them. So you need to understand how you are used in those programs. It's very clear. Uh, you have a question? I'm going to kind of digress a little bit here. I've sure. been having some spontaneous past life recalls and some things that definitely, like, coalesce with those later to confirm that those th events did in fact happen. Sure. I did a past life reading a few years ago and I was really needling the extraterrestrials in my past life to kind of let me have some information as to certain things. Mm -hmm. And they kept telling me, no, you're not ready. No, you're not ready. And I was just like, come on guys, let me know, you know, and they wouldn't. I was like, all right. So I just sat with it for a while. Well, my friend and I afterwards, she did this with me. Um, we were talking about it in the kitchen and I felt like a memory was coming back and then instantly it was gone. And I feel like that wasn't me. And she suddenly gasps. She goes, oh. I was like, what? She's like, there's a being behind you. It looked like a mantid being. She drew it for me and he was looking at the back of my head. And I feel like he stopped that memory from coming back to me. And I was wondering, have you guys experienced that before? And I've had a couple other things too that happened, but um, are there interferences from beings, whether they be benevolent, malevolent? Babe, I'll let you answer the first part. I'll take the second. Coming back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. No, thank you for your question. Absolutely. Um, I think there's interference. Absolutely. But I will say that um, we've had questions from clients before where they've asked, you know, how can we stop this interference? And we definitely feel like there's ways that you can protect yourself from that. Yeah. But you can also ready yourself for, like I've said before, ready yourself for that incoming information, you know? And I feel like you are, you know? I feel like you're like, I will say this though, in the conscious awake state, we're like, we're ready, we're ready, bring it on, right? 
um, in QHHT sessions, your subconscious may be like, you know what, she's not ready yet. Yeah, she's not ready. <laughs> Will, Will put me under one time, and my awake state, I'm like, yes, I'm so ready to clear this. I'm done with this. Like, I'm ready. Give me all the information. Well, my subconscious was like, we'll negotiate with her. You know, so like there was some resistance at some layer. So, you know, we just, we don't exactly know where maybe there's pockets of resistance. So yeah. that may be the case for you. I don't know, but we, we can definitely overcome any, res any resistance and any interference yeah. that there is. And understand yeah. this too, right? When Jody says that her, and understand when we put somebody under, we're not actually answering the question. The person doing the hypnosis is not answering the question. All they're doing is facilitating asking the list of questions the person wanted asked, right? In this case, Jody had a certain list of questions that she wanted to have answered. I put her under and like her, her, her subconscious is actually very demonstrative. We use the term demonstrative, meaning it's like, yes. You know, it has that kind of a change in voice when it was talking and it's like, oh, okay. Um, and then when I asked this question, I said, well, can you give Jody this piece of information? And her subconscious was like, we're going to have to negotiate with on that. And I'm just like, I'd never heard a subconscious actually say that. I'm like, why are you so milk toast right now? Come on. And th th what happens is, is that sometimes I think the subconscious, Jody hit it dead on the head earlier, actually. You said it exactly the way I would say it right now, is that the subconscious is always trying to protect the conscious mind, the ego, because it recognizes the ego sometimes can't handle the stress of knowing the truth. So what it's trying to do is it's trying to create a way to egress information from the subconscious into the conscious mind slowly. Slowly prep the mind so that it understands what it's getting ready to, to, to unfold. I think you're being prepped. I think you're being prepped too. Mm -hmm. I think you're right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. What time are we at, babe? It's two hours, yeah, two hours. Okay. We're at two hours. Will, okay. just one quick question. Sure. Uh, listening to your previously recorded podcasts and all that, or sure. shows, uh, sometimes it could be the, the, audio, uh, the audio quality or something. You were mentioning something in reference to the Dracos, and then you said Subin, Zubin? Thuban. How to spell it? T-H-U-B-A-N, or homework. Thuban. Thuban. Oh, I, mis I mistook it from, for the, the Zubin, so it's Thuban. Yeah. Thuban is the homeworld. It's the Alpha Draconians, the Alpha Draconians, right? The, the Draco, the white Draco. That's where the queen typically resides. That's her homeworld. It's actually in the, the, um, the Draco constellation, and specifically, Thuban is in and of itself uh, an interesting place because the, the phrase the Draco uses, that's from where all their power emanates. And that's on a psychic level and a physical level. Secondly, when they say Thuban, which is what we're trying to say here in this world, they speak with a mixture of um, you have the, the verbal imprint, the audio that we would typically say things in, right? But there's also a psychic imprint that you're getting blasted with. There are pictures, and I think James actually had the pictures on his site at one point where these Nazis were essentially forced into the ground the first time they met the Draco because the Draco were trying to talk to them and not realizing they're swamping them with all this psychic information. And maybe they did realize that, I don't know. 
but they did that on purpose. They were trying to force them into submission. That's the way they, that's the way they work. So, go ahead. Okay, so that's T-H-U-B, and yep. it's in the Draco constellation. Yep. I mistook it for Zubin, which is in the Libra constellation. Yep. Thank you. You're welcome. Okay, I think that's it, right? Thank you. Good job, man.